At this time, I'm going to read the portion of scripture for this morning. The subject is nine certainties in uncertain times. This morning, we'll be only covering three of those from the book of Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be calmly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the certainties that it gives us. These things that are said are as good as done. Some of these things have happened in our lives. Some will happen later. Lord, we pray for each other. Uh, Lord, that you would help your people nail their faith down and truly believe by faith that you will fulfill your word in their lives. These are uncertain times. There's a time when things are up and down and changing daily, dramatically. And Lord, we never thought within a few weeks all that has happened would have happened. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give us compassionate hearts. You'd give us confidence hearts, Lord. And that we'd not be tossed to and fro by the things of this life or by false doctrine. I pray your blessing upon the study this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've done, we'll now read a song or part of a song. It's hymn 224 in our hymnal. It's titled, I Know Whom I Have Believed. 
And it reads, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. The third verse. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through his word, creating faith in him. I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me, of weary ways or golden days before his face I see. The last verse and the chorus read, I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I walk the vale with him, that is death, or meet him in the air. And the chorus, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. These words bring (coughs) especially comforting in these days in which we live. I pray that you know the hymn and maybe you can sing it where you are with the few that might be gathered together with you. Three certainties this morning for uncertain times. We think of the uncertainties that are around today. You may have lost your job. You may think Will I still have my job next week? Millions, we never thought this could happen so quickly, are going to be out of work. Millions of people. And all those revenues for the government from their wages is not coming in. But yet the government's providing billions of dollars to help people in need at this hour. So the income that was so regular and we just thought would go on, advancement in jobs, uncertainty, uncertainty as far as food is concerned. Look at the supermarkets. You want to have to go by there and see, especially in the afternoon or evening. There's nothing much left. People are fearful and are uncertain. Uncertainty concerning housing. And uh, can I pay the payments? Can I pay the rent? Will I still have somewhere to live? Uncertainty as far as health is concerned with this virus going around and that's the crux of the uncertainty and that which the government is moving upon, but will I have good health? If I get this, will I survive? Am I prepared for eternity? Well, as we go to God's word, we find some certainties. In the Old Testament law, These certainties were not realities, but in this dispensation of the grace of God where the gospel is being preached, they are realities. We can read in the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of the transgression, till the seed, the Lord Jesus, should come, to whom the promise was made, and it was a ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not one, not a mediator of one, but God is one. If the law then, well, is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scriptures hath concluded all under sin that the promise of by faith of Jesus Christ 
might be given to them that believe. Here's the certainty that we're seeing here. By faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, were kept under the law, shut up under faith, which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Yes, <clears throat> this is a reality now. It wasn't in the Old Testament. What a blessing and a privilege to live in, a, in the day of grace in which we live. Wherein we have the certainties that we'll be looking at, some of them today, and Lord willing, next week, the others. These things have changed dramatically to what they were like under the law. Jesus Christ is dealing in a whole new way with mankind and has been for the 2,000 years since he came. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it puts it like this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let me show you from Romans 8, the first certainty. The first certainty that the saint has is that he has a new position. In those verses that we read in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 and 4, this certainty is spoken of. There is therefore now no condemnation. This is the first certainty that we come across here. No condemnation. You see, each one of us was born under condemnation, the condemnation of sin. But we have a certainty if we have faith in Christ, there is no condemnation. As the Lord Jesus put it when he's speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, after that great verse, verse 16, we read in verse 17, For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. He was born condemned. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And if you're listening today, maybe the first time, maybe you've listened before, you've tuned into this webpage, to these sermons. If you're not a Christian, you're under the condemnation of God. And the certainty that we have as Christians, as believers, is that we are no longer under condemnation. The, these verses clearly tell us so. And this is the condemnation in verse 19 of John 3. That light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought of God. Yes, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. We are his children. And as his children, sometimes our own heart condemns us because we do sin. We have an old nature still and we can sin and we do sin. Romans 7, Romans 6 is all about this. Paul sinned and he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But that doesn't mean when we sin as a Christian, we are under the condemnation of God. We're under the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Over in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, <clears throat> we read these words. My little children, let us love, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. 
For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. If our hearts, Christians' hearts, condemn us, God is greater. Uh, Then we have confidence toward God. God is able to forgive. God is able to cleanse. God sees us through his son's blood, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he cannot and will not condemn us. This is a certainty. You're not under condemnation. And whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. Ah, Christian, if you've sinned, you know what it is. Your heart condemns you. But remember that the Lord Jesus has said he will forgive all those that come to him. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us of our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John chapter 1. So this is a certainty we have, a new position. We are not under condemnation. Another certainty is given in verse 4 of Romans 8 where we read that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. This is a certainty. We walk not after the flesh. We're not governed as Christians by the things of this world but we're governed by the things of the world to come that the Lord Jesus has written in his word. The more we read the word, we more under, the more we understand this. As it reads in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians again, and chapter, well, the chapter 2 it is, we read there, <clears throat> and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. We were under the condemnation of God, which in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the old devil. We walked in his way, doing his will. But now, not under condemnation, by faith in Christ and his finished work on Calvary, we don't walk after the flesh. We don't walk that way anymore. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, he's still working. And boy, is he working today in those that don't know him and are still under condemnation. Among whom we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Yes, we are no longer under condemnation. We are no no longer walking after the flesh, but walking after the spirit. This is the new position that we have, the certainty of this new position. And in verse 2 of Romans chapter 8, we read, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We're not under the law of sin and death. The law in the Old Testament is like the Ten Commandments just keep hammering at us and saying, You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're condemned, you're condemned. We're not under that law. We're under grace now if we have believed by faith. We walk by grace we live by grace (laughs) praise God for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we're free from the law of sin and death the shackles have been taken off and now we live by the grace of God we have moved from trying to get saved to trusting to be saved in verse 3 we read for what the law could not do and it was weak through the flesh and we couldn't do it we couldn't keep it there's nobody Nobody but one, the Lord Jesus, who kept the law perfectly. And one broken law brings us under the condemnation and the wrath of God. 
It was weak in the flesh. The flesh couldn't do it. God, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So are you trying to get to heaven by your works? Or are you trusting the finished work of Christ through the grace of God to be saved? That he will draw you into his presence. Romans chapter 4 and verse 3 to 8 speak of Abraham. And it says this about Abraham where he stopped trying to be saved. He didn't try baptism to be saved. He didn't try works to be saved. He didn't try penance to be saved. Things that people try today. He didn't try to speak in tongues to be saved. There wasn't any in there wasn't around. We read there in Romans 4 for 3, for what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was counted reckoned imputed to him for righteousness. He believed God. We do that. He lived before the law. We live after the law. And we live in the dispensation of the grace of God. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Debt. If, if we worked our way to heaven, God would be indebted to us. And he is no man's debtor. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. God takes our sin in Christ upon himself. It is imputed to him and he imputes to us his righteousness when we believe. You say it can't be so simple. It is. John 3.16, read it. It is simple. Repent, be saved, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have this great, wonderful position that you're no longer a servant of the law, but a son of God. We read in the word of God again in the book of Galatians and chapter 4 and verse 3. This is, sorry, Galatians 4 verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. We'll cover this in a little moment, the adoption of sons. But we are no longer servants, but we are sons. And if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, then, when we knew not God, we did serve them which by nature are no gods. But we are Born again, we are saved. We are sons and not servants of the Lord Jesus. We're under grace and not law. Galatians 3, 21 and 22, we read a moment ago, is the law against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But... <clears throat> The scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Have you believed? So there's a new position and time's escaping us. The second certainty that we find in the book of Romans, verses 5 to 13, is the certainty of a new presence. We read there, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. 
When we get saved, the Holy Spirit controls us and there is a new presence in our life. The presence, the abiding presence, the continual presence of the Holy Spirit. If you're looking at the outline, there's three things that are verses, divide verses 5 to 13. The Holy Spirit controls, first of all, the mind. Do mind the things of the flesh, if we're in the flesh, if we're not a Christian. But they that are after the Spirit, born again, and we have this new presence, the Spirit living in us, the things of the Spirit. Tell me, those who are declaring themselves to be Christians, do you know that the Spirit is controlling you? Are you reading the Word? Is He speaking to you through the Word? Or is there no essence? Is there no, uh, no sense of His presence there at all? Are you saved? I say in these uncertain times, you need to be certain you're a son of God, not a servant of law, not a servant of the flesh. For to be carnally minded is death. Spiritually minded is life and peace. In these uncertain times, we need this. Not to be carnally minded, not to be rushing around in a fluster, a flurry and fearful of all the things that are happening. That's carnally minded. But to be spiritually minded, to know what's going on in our life is life and peace. Do you have that? This is a certainty you can have because you have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, the early Earthly, the worldly mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You can't make your old man, the fleshly you, submit to the law of God. It bucks the system of God. It bucks against the law. That's why we have lawlessness in so many places. Because people are that way. That's the way they're born. And so the mind starts in the mind. The Holy Spirit controls the mind. He secondly controls the motives in verse 8 and 9. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're not a Christian, you cannot please God. No matter how many times you go to church. No matter how many times you try to do good works for others. You're not going to please God. All our righteousness, it declares in Jeremiah, as, are as filthy rags. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. And so we see the motive. The Spirit controls the motives. If you haven't got the Spirit, you're not a Christian. Read verse 9 again yourself. Think it through. We're not in the flesh. We're not governed by this. As Christians, we're governed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. As he shows us, it's not some flash you receive. It's the word of God and obedience to it. It indicates you're controlled by the spirit. And the, the spirit controls not only the mind, verse 5 to 7, and the motives, but thirdly, the members, the members of the body. You know, the eye, the ear, the mouth, the nose, and the hands and feet. The members of the body. If Christ be in you, it says in verse, ten, in verse 10, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in you. 
Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And so the members, what are your members doing? If you're controlled by the Spirit of God on the main, yeah, we will have our times when we fall back. If you're controlled by the Spirit of God, you will do what is right. You'll do what's pleasing to God. You are empowered to do that because you have a new presence in your life. The continual abiding presence. You see, some people say that we can lose our salvation. You can't. The Spirit of God is in you. And he's in you for good once you believe. What assurance that is, this new presence. There was some time many years ago that I went from A to Z and tried to find something that the Spirit of God does for us with every letter of the alphabet. For instance, <clears throat> A, he assures us, Romans 8, 16. He abides with us. He anoints us. That's three just for A. B, he baptizes us, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, And uh, <coughs> he, he baptizes us into the body of Christ. He puts us in to the body of Christ. He, C, con comforts us. He convicts us. He convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. That's the Holy Spirit working. And I believe Hebrews chapter 6, the early verses of that, Speak of those who are non-Christians who have tasted the good word of God, who have experienced the presence of the Spirit convicting them of their sin, wanting to open their hearts so that he might come in. But they have to have the willing obedience and say yes. And we can turn him away. He converts, he convicts, he d d dwells. He's like a dove that came out of the church of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He dwells within us. Romans 8 verses 9 to 13. Well, just 9 and 13 that we re we've already read there. Um, if, we ha if we haven't got the spirit, we're none of his. If he's not dwelling in us, we're not a Christian. He dwells in us. He came upon the church like uh, cloven tongues of fire and in the form of a dove. He enhances and enriches and he enlightens us. Hebrews 6, 4, Ephesians 1, 14. He fills us. He fills us. We have to be obedient for him to fill us. You know, is there a difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit? Yes, there is a clear difference. Baptism of the Spirit happens once at conversion. And if you're not being baptized by the Spirit when you believed on the Lord Jesus, you're not saved. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Romans 8, 9 and 11, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. He seals us into the body of Christ. That's a baptism. Happens once at salvation. But the filling of the Spirit can happen many times. And it is conditioned upon our obedience to the Lord. It's only for Christians that they might be filled. Through sanctification. And service, we are filled. Ephesians 5, verse 18. <laughs> verse 18, yes. It says, be, being, be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. In other words, be obedient. It's not long, some sense you have. It's when you're obedient and through the Word of God that He convicts you about, you're filled with the Spirit. Well, He fills. He, gee, guides. He guides us. John 16, 13. We can grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 30. 
He helps. He heals. He helps us to pray. Romans 8, 26. He indwells. I, he indwells. He instructs. He intercedes for us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. He judges. He, we've already covered that. The, the world. He keeps us. He, he, he sealed us. And we're saved for the day of redemption of our bodies. He leads us. He liberates us. He letteth and keepeth the sin from going crazy in this world. 2 Thessalonians 2.17 And when he is removed one day, when the church is taken, he'll be still in, the pre- in a different way present here. But when he is removed and the restraining influence of Christians around the world goes, then all hell will break loose in this world. I start wondering if what we're seeing is the start of it. Yet we have the certainty of his presence. He ministers to us. He nurtures us. He nudges us along the path of life. And I don't do that, do this. He opens our eyes. He's like the oil anointing in the Old Testament. He prays for us when we don't know what we should pray for, as we ought, Romans 8, 26. He can be quenched, but he quickens us. Q, 1 Peter 3, 18. He reproves of sin. He renews us. Titus 3 verse 5 talks about regeneration, regenerated through the Spirit of God. He seals us. Ah, how wonderful, wonderful thought. Ephesians 1, 13 and Ephesians 4 verse 30. He teaches us. He testifies to us. He upholds us. Um, <clears throat> v, I didn't have one, but I put down victory. <laughs> Witness. W, Witnesses. He's like a wind, the wind of the Spirit to come upon them at Pentecost. X, well, he x-rays us. He sees right through us. He knows what's going on. We can quench him. We can grieve him. Don't do that as a Christian. Now, that wonderful presence. We have this assurance in uncertain times that we have the Spirit of God and he's not leaving us. And thirdly, and time's really evaporating. <laughs> but I think we're going to get there. The saint... Today has the certainty of a new prestige. A new prestige. You might like to use position again, but for the sake of an outline, a new prestige. And this is told to us in verse 14 to 17 of Romans 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What a prestige, prestigious position we have. Let's put them together. Prestigious position. Sons of God. You know, in verses 15 and 16 of this chapter of Romans 8, we have been signed and sealed into him as his children. Verse 16 reads, The Spirit itself, or himself, Beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. He talks to us. Our spirit talks to his spirit. And we are confident that we are his children. We are his sons. We're on our way to heaven. We're going to leave this world behind. The things of this world don't matter as much as they used to. Ah, We have to have our needs met. Be content with such things as you have. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. A prestigious position. A son of God. <laughs> Consider that thought. 
We've been adopted in the family. Adoption will be completed upon our arrival in our new home. If you go over to Romans 8.23, stealing something from next week. In verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. That is the redemption of our body. It's all been signed. It's been sealed. We are secure. But the adoption there, according to that verse, is the redemption of our body. We're still tempted to sin. We still do those things which displease the Lord. We ask for forgiveness and we start walking aright and be sanctified for the Lord. But one day this adoption will be completed where all these things in this mortal body, when we put on an immortal body, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 58, talk about the immortal body, they will have one day where we cannot sin. We won't be tempted to sin. We won't have the old nature again. We look forward to that day. As the book of Romans in chapter 8, a little bit later than where we're going to go today, talks about groaning, waiting for, and that verse 23 is in, that, in, that, in those verses there, <clears throat> waiting for that wonderful day. Over in the book of Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, we've read these earlier, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. We've been adopted once we believe on the Lord Jesus. Once we by faith believe that he died for our sins. He paid the price and penalty for our condemnation, for our sin. He's given us life and liberty, a new position, a new presence, and a new prestige. A prestigious position as the sons of the eternal God. In the book of Ephesians chapter five, uh, 1 and verse 5 we read, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of sons. Hey, uh, predestination has to do with God's people who are already saved. It's not about the unsaved. Uh, election. Yeah. Read First Peter chapter 1 verse 2 about that. Elected according to the foreknowledge of God. He elected us because he knew our response to the gospel. And he could elect us. But predestination has to do with God's children. They're already saved, having predestinated us, us Christians, unto the adoption. You see, we're Christians. We've been sealed by the Spirit of God, but the completed adoption hasn't happened. It's different to what we perceive as adoption today, this adoption of God's children. Bind Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. One day, in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, we'll realise the wonders of our adoption. How many more privileges we have as in this prestigious position as the sons of God adopted into the family. Let's read a few of them to close today. In the book of <coughs> Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, not a worldly inheritance. They're going to count as nothing because this world's going to burn up. They're all going to be done. But this is an eternal inheritance from God as his children, adopted children, being predestinated, there it is again, according to the purpose of him 
who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Verse 14, who is the earnest, the Spirit of God, our earnest of our inheritance, our adoption, until the redemption of the purchased possession. You say, wait a minute, I'm already saved. Yeah, you're already redeemed. You've got the seal of God, it's not going to change. But the, the, the old body, the redemption of the body, of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. These words, these verses are talking about inheritance. Verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 1. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of your calling, his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints Ah, all these worldly things and problems will be forgotten. All the uncertain things of life will be gone and we'll have that inheritance given to us. What is exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. He can do it. He's promised he would and he will do it. There's a song that talks about <coughs> adoption. A chorus. Well, it's got two verses. It says, I'm adopted. I'm a child of the king. God is my father. He owns everything. He walks beside me. He's my very best friend. Praise God. I'll never be lonely again. Do you know about this? Are you one of his children? The second verse says, My father chose me. He loves me, I know. He will be with me. Wherever I go, I'll never worry. I have joined royalty. I am a member of the king's family. And the chorus reads, I'm adopted. Hallelujah. I've got a new song. I'm adopted. Hallelujah. I finally belong. <laughs> I've got a brand new family overflowing with love. I'm a child of my father above. Do you know you're a son of God? Tonight, today, this morning, I invite you to come to know the Lord Jesus and have these certainties in an uncertain time. We've got, what, another five, six, six more certainties in uncertain times. We've looked at a new position and a certain position, a certain presence of the Spirit of God and a certain prestigious position as a son of God. Many other verses we could share, times limited. I pray that you know that you're a Christian. If you need to know how to become a Christian, if you don't understand it completely, may the Spirit of God work in your heart. May the Scriptures of God read your Bible. Do a work. If you need some counselling or some help, in, we can just show you what we can just show you the way. I'm a beggar that has found bread, the bread of life. Share it with you that you might know that you can have eternal life. Come to him, become one of his children, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the certainties we have, a new position, Lord, a new place as a son of God, new presti uh, uh, sorry, new presence at the Holy Spirit, and the prestigious position of being one that inherits from God the wonderful things that he's prepared for us. And it says, I hasn't seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered to the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. 
What a wonder awaits us when our redemption is complete through the adoption of the body, the redemption of the body, and we see you face to face. We look forward to it. Until then, Lord, let us be faithful. Let us be sanctified. Let us be serving. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.